0: Good morning. (laughs) Thanks to the band for um, that awesome uh, music for us today. (coughs) Uh, We are free to struggle knowing that uh, victory on the cross has been won for us. So uh, we're a place that acknowledges that truth, that we are broken people uh, doing the best we can um, here in a world where we struggle with our own brokenness and sin, uh, knowing that we have a Savior who has taken care of that for us. Uh, So we're really glad you're here with us this morning. I want to um, get some things, um, some housekeeping things um, out of the way here before we jump into 1 Peter 5 and Psalm 55. Um, If you need a Bible or if you need today's program um, that has uh, some space for taking notes during the sermon and study questions for the week, um, just flip up your hand and one of these guest services folks Uh, We'll hook you up with a Bible or uh, today's program. Um, If you need that, um, they'll get those to you. We're going to be in 1 Peter 5 in the New Testament and Psalm 55 in the Old Testament. Uh, 1 Peter 5. We're going to be in 5 through 7. Um, Got a couple more hands here and there. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7. We're going to start at 5B, uh, meaning like if you don't know what the ABC stuff means, that just means we're going to start in the second section of that verse. So we're going to be in 5b-7. through 7. And then for Psalm 55, um, we're just going to do verses 16-23, through 23, uh, those two passages. Um, tell you a few more things you need to know, some housekeeping things, and then we'll read those together and uh, pray. So you're going to want to have those handy uh, for our sermon time today. Uh, real quick, after this series, we're in week three of four, in a series right now called uh, What Happy Couples Know. Um, We are going to do a one-off sermon um, just for one Sunday called What is a Multi-Site Church and Why Are We Becoming One? We're going to look at Acts, uh, the book of Acts of the Apostles right after um, Jesus' resurrection um, and and how the church grew um, in some surprisingly multi-site kinds of ways. So we're going to look at some cool stuff there. What is a multi-site church church, and why are we becoming one? And then we're going to spend perhaps as many as eight weeks in... um, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. We're going to do four weeks after that in a series called Reachable, um, a four-week series called Reachable, where we look at God's plan to reach those who seem and feel to us um, like perhaps they're unreachable. Um, We're going to do a real cool look at, um, in four weeks, um, how the early church after Jesus' resurrection um, grew in ways that reached those that might feel and seem to us Unreachable. And then we're going to spend probably October and November in a really important series for us called gospel fluency. Um, it's a really powerful and a really helpful study in understanding the gospel, the good news well enough so that we can speak and live with a winsome witness that draws others to the gospel. Uh, we're going to tell you about what is the gospel, where do we find it throughout the entire scriptures, how we can speak fluently in it in ways that aren't like annoying how about that? That'd be a good, good thing for us, right, as Christians? To be able to speak about the truth of the gospel in ways that are winsome and that draw people. That's something that not many do well enough. So we're going to spend some significant time understanding the gospel, where it comes from in the scriptures, so that we can, uh, like in our bones, understand how to speak it and behave it in ways that are, are winsome and attractive uh, to nonbelievers. Uh, let, me, let me tell you frankly, not many Christians... Do that well. <laughs> we want to be an exceptional group of people that love the gospel in our bones and express that in ways that are, that are helpful and, and draw others in to that truth. So I've already told you too much about that series. Um, Let's just jump into a few things here about marriage ministry. Three parts of the marriage ministry launches tomorrow for reengage. We'll get there in a second. The three parts are number one, merge, merges for pre-marrieds, whether engaged or seriously dating couples, merges for eight weeks. Foundation groups is the second part of the three. Uh, foundations uh, groups are small groups for newly married couples who have been married fewer than four years. Um, Those are small groups that last 15 months. And the meetings alternate between study and uh, fun from week to week. Uh, So it's cool because these uh, newly married couples are spending time together, studying what it means to have a good marriage, a Christ-centered marriage. And then on the other weeks, they're like, you know, bowling and eating out and fun, things like that. Uh, And then finally, Reengage starts tomorrow night. Um, It is an 18-week marriage enrichment program for those who have been married more than four years. It's important to emphasize that re-engage is for marriages in any condition. In any condition, your marriage can benefit. If your marriage is a two and you're looking to take it to a five, or maybe it's a six and you're looking to take it to a nine, uh, re-engage is for you, um, and it starts tomorrow, and apparently you can expect about a three-points improvement on a scale from one to ten. If you're... If you followed those numbers, uh, starts tomorrow night in this room, 630 to 8 p.m. Child care is uh, provided. And uh, there are only four spots left, four couples left uh, for spots there. So grab those in the hub uh, before second service people get them. That's what they get for not coming early, right? Um, if you've got any questions, Mark and Beth Ann Liebert will be uh, in the hub right outside those doors uh, to answer questions for you to help you register. Uh, help get you signed up. All right, we've got a lot to get to. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and jump to uh, reading the text, folks upstairs and praying. So uh, let's go ahead and read these passages together. And then we'll spend some time in prayer to prepare our hearts and minds to hear from God's Word. It says this, 1 Peter 5, 5-7, through 7, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Psalm 55 says this, starting at verse 16. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and He hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. Jump down to verse 22 there. Cast your burden on the Lord, verse 22, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Let's pray, friends. Father in heaven, in the quiet of this moment, we establish anew in our hearts and in our minds. That you have gathered us to sit under the authority of the truth of your word. To submit ourselves anew to your purposes in the world. To your mission for our lives. And to learn afresh how we might follow your son Jesus with greater passion. And clarity about how to live that out in practical terms in our lives so that others would see uh, this body of believers on Monday through Saturday and see that You're a God who lives in the hearts of Your people and that marriages and, and families would be whole and healthy in a way that is its own winsome witness to the truth that You alone save Father, give us a vision for our lives and for our marriages um, that comes from Your heart to give Yourself as a God of goodness and mercy and grace who treats us as we don't deserve, but that You extend to us uh, through Your Son, Jesus, uh, what we could never earn and what we don't deserve. So Lord, would we, as we give ourselves to You, um, be used by You to extend that same grace to one another? We ask this in the name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, So in this series, we're looking at what happy couples know. And we've been saying that one of the main things that happy couples know and this happens in every relationship, especially in marriage, what happy couples know is that at some point our hopes, dreams, and desires <laughs> that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks turn to expectations. Our hopes, dreams, and desires become expectations. This happens because we take these hopes, dreams, and desires, which seem to us like innocent and reasonable things to want, right? Like we take these hopes, dreams, and desires... And at some point in the relationship, we take these and we hand them box and all, and calendar, box and all to someone else. And we say, in effect, when we do that, perhaps not even realizing we've done it, uh, here, make all these come true. Make all these come true for me. No pressure, right? NBD. And that feels to the other person like a burden like a weight like unreasonable expectations right uh, this this gets very easily heavy so from our perspective it's all hope streams and desires I mean, who wouldn't want, <laughs> who wouldn't want to spend uh, money the way that I want to spend money or to live in the kind of house I want to live in or to drive the kind of car I want to drive or have exactly as many kids as I want, and so on, and so on, and so on. And from our perspective, it seems like innocent hopes, dreams, and desires. <laughs> but from the perspective of somebody else in the relationship, especially in marriage, the closer and deeper the relationship gets, the more it feels like expectations. And when that happens in a relationship and when it happens in marriage, the relationship becomes transactional. This is what we've been saying throughout this series. It becomes this sort of economic relationship where a constant internal Tally of pluses and minuses are measured against our internal desires, and it becomes about negotiation and compromise in the relationship. And we begin to sort of weasel out of the relationship our particular vision for what that relationship should look like, which in effect pushes out another's, i.e., our spouse's vision. <laughs> and when that happens in a relationship, uh, it begins to kill the joy. And the happiness in a marriage. Because it becomes a transaction. And everything becomes a negotiation. Uh, We did it your way last time. This time it's my turn. You spent this much last time and blew the budget. Now it's my turn. I'm going to show you what blowing the budget really means. And listen, normal compromise is fine. Sure. Normal compromise has to happen in a relationship. Duh if it comes from a desire to serve the other person, right? But even seemingly innocent compromise is too easily played out as a competition to get my way. And it all easily eventually turns into a manipulation of the other person before you know it, even in marriage. Though no one sets out most of the time, no one sets out to manipulate this other person, what ends up functionally happening in transactional economic competition for self-relationship in marriage is that you are manipulating the other person into a personal genie for your dreams and desires. And guess exactly how many people in the history of the entire world have been able to achieve that rarefied status of genie of their spouse's hopes, dreams, and desires. <laughs> exactly zero. And so we, we place we place on our personal relationships undue weight that it cannot handle, that they cannot handle. No person can. No matter how cute he is No matter how beautiful she might be, no matter how smart or caring, how much of whatever he or she has, no single human being can bear the weight of achieving someone else's hopes, dreams, and desires. (laughs) So you may wonder, how do we avoid that? How do we avoid placing more weight on the relationship that it can handle? A more specific version of that question we're going to ask today as it relates to marriages is this. How do I, and I'm asking this this way on purpose, how do I avoid placing undue weight on my spouse? And how can I ease some of the burden I have been placing on my spouse? Don't miss how I've asked that question. As it is a question to ask yourself, uh, this isn't the time to start sort of nudging your spouse and nudging your neighbor and be like, listen up, loser. Um, I mean, honey, um, <laughs> this is going to be really helpful for you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. Because believe it or not, <laughs> pst, this, this, isn't, this isn't a problem confined only to the other person in the relationship. We all at some level have expected uh, from our spouse, from our significant others, what they are not designed to give. So what we're going to look at today is a, a very simple, a very simple, but if used, um, as we see here in the Scriptures in these two places, in 1 Peter and Psalm 55, a very simple, but if used well, a very profound tool in your relational toolbox, especially in marriage, that you may not be using as well as you need. And we're going to find it first in 1 Peter 5. Turn with me there if you haven't um, gotten there yet. 1 Peter 5. We're going to start with the second part of the verse here. It's a very simple but profound and powerful solution uh, that may seem obvious, but it's an important tool in your marriage toolbox um, that you may not be using as well as you need. Read along with me, starting in 1 Peter 5, second half of the verse there. It says this, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. This is an imperative. It's a command. He says, do it. And Peter starts here by saying to put on humility, like clothing. It's like you wrap yourself in it. So this is a Bible way of saying you have to live in this from day to day. Like you're living in clothing from day to day, right? So live in this humility. Put it on. You have to wear this all the time. <laughs> so button up with humility. And just in case there's any confusion, Peter says, uh, not just like your spouse, clothe yourselves, all spouses of uh, all significant others, not me. It says all of you, he means, of course, everyone here, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility humility go around every day wearing humility toward one another and of course in this case we're talking about this in the in the context of of marriage walk around with humility on toward your spouse why says this for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, for God opposes the proud, meaning he works against the self-centered person who doesn't need him. That's what prideful people do. We've all been that. Um, sin has its root in that kind of I-don't-need-God pride, so it's not like you're exempt from it, I'm exempt from it. That's something we all have. It's like the root of sin. God opposes those who are self-centered and don't need him, but it says he gives grace to the humble. God works with someone who is humble, but against the prideful person who doesn't need him. So the question for us here is, how can I become humble? (laughs) How can I become a humble person? person. I'm going to tell you it's actually very easy. It's not as complicated as it sounds. It's much easier than you may think to become a humble person. How can I become humble? You just ask yourself, what would a humble person do? And you do it. (laughs) Let me say that again. (laughs) You just ask what would a humble person do? And you do it. You don't have to have your motivations right You don't have to have them like exactly correct on the inside before you act in a way that is right and humble, right? You don't have to feel humble first. You just ask yourself, what would a humble person do? And you do it. How about this? It's simple. How about instead of having to make sure you feel humble before you do humble things, You decide to do humble things and see how it feels. We approach life exactly the opposite as if I can't do this thing that I know is right because I know what's in me and I don't feel that way. How about we we say, what does a humble person do? And we do it and then we feel what a pattern of acting humbly looks like After we're used to what acting humbly feels like. Everybody wants to make sure they've got all their internal motivations perfectly pure and exactly right before they waste any time doing something. You've got to measure ten times before you cut once to make sure it's perfect, right? But that's backwards. Instead of having to make sure you feel humble before you do humble things, you decide to do humble things To see how it feels, Peter starts verse 5 with a command clothe yourselves, put it on, do this. Even if you're not a humble person, (laughs) even if you struggle with pride. And guess what? If you do this, you will eventually become, as a pattern of your life, the behavior of humility will mean that you become a humble person. And Peter says, God likes to work. With humble people. He will oppose those who are not. And I think this extends as far as you can extend it. God likes to give Himself to those who know they need Him. He gives power to humble people and He provides a relational connection for humble people that prideful people don't experience. We could preach a lot on that, but we have more to get to. So, we're extending grace to humble people. God extends grace to humble people. And we're applying this to marriage. And so he gives gives power and grace to humble people, provides a relational connection for them. And not only that, it gets better. Look at this, verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Meaning, according to what Peter says here, humble people are celebrated in God's kingdom and they enjoy forever relationship with God. There is a serious upside with going last. Contrary to everything that we feel we have to eke out of our personal relationships and that we're taught about the world, exactly the opposite is how it works. Especially In our marriages. So what Peter says here. Is to make sure you go last. Fight for the end of the line. Put the other person first. Assume the best. Put yourself in the place where Jesus did. That kind of humility is an important prerequisite. We're experiencing what happy couples know. And we're going to continue to answer this question of how can I <laughs> take the, the, the humble place, the last place in line, and ease the expectations that I've placed on the relationship and especially marriage? How can I do that? Which, which I suspect for most of us, perhaps this is the first time we've asked a form of that question when it comes to our most significant relationships. How can I ease the undue weight and burden I've placed on this other person I love and care for? So, humble yourselves, Peter says. And here's how. Here's the tool for our marriage toolbox. Very practical stuff. Cast all your anxieties on him, verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. So, so putting verses six and seven together, uh, because they go together in the text here. Humble yourselves, keep yourselves in the place of putting others, your spouse first. By verse seven, casting all your anxieties on who? Not your spouse. <laughs> on God. It's very easy. It's very clear. We have made we have made a habit of casting our anxieties on everybody else around us. Right? Right? And guess what? Hmm. Not very effective. Because they're not meant to take on burdens. Human beings can't. So he says, cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Keep yourself in the place of putting yourself second, your spouse first. And you do that by casting all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. For you, when it's hard to go second, when your spouse doesn't deserve first, when you know full well that doing the humble thing might mean your spouse takes advantage of the situation again, and you may not get your way, guess what that means? You're beginning to feel and experience how much Jesus loves you. So don't think of yourself as some grand exception. Jesus goes first. And we learn it from Him. When it's hard to go second, when your spouse doesn't deserve first, when you know full well that doing the humble thing and putting somebody else in front of you means they might take advantage of the situation and you might not get your way, cast all your anxieties on Him. Which means, let me make this simple, you've got to develop a meaningful you and God prayer life. You must learn first to go to Him. Not another human being. Your husband, your wife, your significant other, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, doesn't matter how smart, doesn't matter how cute, they cannot bear the weight of the inner stuff that you know you can't, (laughs) right? If you don't believe that this is true, ask yourself how's it been working? for me to cast my inner anxieties on people around me. How's that working for you? If you're brave and you really want to know how this works in your marriage, ask your spouse, honey, <laughs> how do I place undue weight and burden on you that that you can't carry? And just listen and be humbled. If you did this with your spouse, it could revolutionize the relationship and provide badly needed perspective. How have I been expecting how have I been expecting you to do for me what you cannot do that only God can? We are in the bad habit. We're in the bad habit of turning people into idols. And and our spouses and our family and our kids are no exception. In fact, they may prove the rule. And when we realize that we are manipulating from people what we can only get from God, we might ease up a little on what we expect from people. People who understand grace do that. This isn't, by the way, just being pessimistic about people, (laughs) right? Uh, This is being real about sin. And so Peter suggests that we cast all our anxieties on God because He cares for us. Anybody got anxieties? Of course you do. Sure you do. We've all got daily burdens and struggles that make us a little crazy. (laughs) I mean, uh, they make me a little crazy. And I think if you're not not at least occasionally feeling a little crazy about your daily anxieties, then you're not dealing in reality. So how how do we cast all our anxieties on God? Turn to Psalm 55. This is an example of what it looks like to develop a prayer life that is honest with God about where we are and what we need. This is an example of of, of a prayer that goes to God first. Psalm 55, if you're not there yet, we'll give you a second here. We're going to start in at verse 16 and go through 23. This is a prayer of David. And this is where uh, Peter, in 1 Peter 5, get, grabs this idea of casting all our anxieties on the Lord. This is where he gets it from. starts there in verse 16. Read with me there. It says, But I call to God, instead of calling upon someone who cannot bear the weight of my life's burdens, I call to God, I pray, and I call out, and the Lord will save me. Instead of relying on my spouse, instead of relying on someone else, To be a functional savior for me, which sounds silly, but it's true in how we actually work, right? We lean on people in ways they cannot bear. But I call to God and the Lord will save me, not my spouse, which is obviously not the immediate context of David's words here in Psalm 55. But we can uh, sort of apply his personal bout with his struggles and anxieties to our own here. So we're saying that prayerful dependence upon God resets our hearts and minds to an expectation upon God as savior. Okay? So we call to him, verse 17, evening and morning and at noon, all day, because anxieties don't quit. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. How often have you uttered and complained and moaned, time and time and time and time and time again, to significant others or spouses in your life, and you think they're not hearing? They're not hearing. Guess what? part of why they're not hearing is because they can't bear the weight of it. And you're expecting more than you should. And you're not going to the Messiah first. And you've turned them into an idol you functionally worship. That's the Bible word, idol. And it's anything we place in the place of God. And it could be something, it could be someone, and the idols we miss most are the people with whom we have closest relationship. Spouses, kids, top of the list. Which are for us, actually just functionally, one step away from us being the idol. Because we just can't admit that we can't bear the weight. There's a lot more than we're not going to unpack today. But in verse 17, it says, Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan. Now, bear in mind, this is to God, and He hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed, they're sort of organized against me. Now jump down to verse 22. Here's where uh, Peter grabs this phrase from earlier. It says this, verse 22, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. This, this is very simple go first to the Lord. Tell Him. Tell Him. Start with Him before you unload on your spouse. I promise you, many of us, if you're not yet married, believe me, you'll get there soon enough. Many of us who are married have experienced many conflicts because we went to our spouse first. We spoke things before we took our anxieties to the Lord. Talk to the Lord openly and honestly. He can handle it. He really can. He's God. Your spouse is not. He can handle it. Talk to Him openly and honestly from your heart. Just look at how David describes this in verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint And I moan, and he hears my voice. All day long, David is taking his cares to the Lord. This was the king of an entire nation of people who had major burdens and concerns on him from day to day. So we began today by asking this question. How do I avoid placing an undue weight on my spouse? And how can I ease some of the burden I've been placing on my spouse. It's a very simple answer. uh, But if you put this in your relational toolbox, if you'll go to God first before you unload on your spouse, uh, the simple answer could make a profound difference in your life, in your relationships, and in your marriage, which is this (laughs) prayerful dependence upon God. Prayerful dependence upon God first can ease the relational burden we've been unwittingly often placing on others and especially on our spouses. You see, you see, if if you've been insisting that someone or something other than God meets your needs, you will always be disappointed. This is the witness of Scripture right here. Only the God who made you can meet your deepest needs. And your deepest needs will never be met in another human being. You know that because you know what sin is like and how you've experienced it for yourself and how egregiously deeply your need for a Savior is. That's the truth of everyone around you. Your deepest need is not not met in a human being or a house or a car or a 401k or your kids or in close physical intimacy that feels like care that still can't meet my deepest needs. To place anything or anyone in the place that only Jesus deserves is to idolize and to worship that thing or that person. And if we're honest about how we functioned in our relationships, we have learned to pervert those around us into functional Messiahs they can never be. So before, before you do that, make a practice of casting the anxieties on the Lord because He cares for you. Let's do that right now and join in prayer to close. Father, in this moment, We cast, we throw (laughs) our anxieties to You. We throw them because we can't handle them. We admit, Lord, that we have uh, thrown our anxieties on those closest to us, uh, but not sufficiently on You. We admit that we have depended upon our spouses for fulfilling hopes and dreams they cannot. We admit admit that we have put in the place of Jesus other people and ultimately ourselves. And we have expected uh, what only you can give. So, Father, please continue to shape us and mold us after your image. Forgive us for the ways in which we have manipulated those around us. And give us, Lord, clarity about how to treat others with grace um, that we ourselves need. So that You would be glorified. So that Your Spirit would move in us. So that marriages would become examples of Your love for us and how You died for us. And that they would be reflections of Your grace and mercy to us when we didn't deserve it. Lord, give us a vision for our lives that looks like your vision for our lives. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.